Eva, exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome, listeners, to the season three review episode of Deep Space Cry. <clears throat> I mean. Disco Fever. And once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review. Um, yes, mostly an irreverent review. In a show created in the past by Gene Rodenbury, who presented a future with peace, zero poverty, equality, social stability, diversity, and overall happiness, now comes a 2020 postmodern future by Alex Kurtzman, portraying a future of unrest, disparity, self-loathing, low self-esteem, PTSD, Puberty, mental health issues, modifiers, conflagration, environmental issues, massive pussies, and a vet. Can 13 episodes be enough to save the future of Star Trek Discovery? A show set in the future, telling us what to think about how the future will be. Although written in 2020, a future looking like our present. So, in the past then. All this and much more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hello. Well, you've just made me, know, made me brain bleed out my nose again with your little time references, but yes, I think that suitably sets up where we're going with this episode, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. How have you been? I've been all right. I mean, I'd like to say I've been desperately missing the end of Star Trek, but I haven't actually noticed that my Fridays haven't been supplemented with bitter disappointment and, and underwhelming feeling of want. You do know that Deep Space Nine Voyager and Next Gen are all on Netflix still. Well, I suppose I could dabble in that. I'm still into my Mandalorian phase and I've been working my way through the West Wing as well. Good lad, stick with the Mandalorian. Yeah, well, this week, at the time of recording, we're all still in lockdown. The latest yep. edition of lockdowns, things have still been restricted. We're into year two of the COVID. Because I've been single for a while, I thought I would go and see my palm reader. She had a look at my hands, she said, I can see that you're very lonely. And I said, That's amazing. How can you tell that? She said, You've got spunk on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong on so many levels praise be <laughs> anyway oh dear anyway welcome listeners <laughs> yes welcome yeah so uh, i suppose before we get started there is an important announcement to make now we alluded to the fact in the previous episode but because certainly i have got off my lazy ass to do all the necessary admin to make that a thing i can now confirm that we are now the two marks on all of the social media platforms so on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram you will find us as the two marks as opposed to all of the other channels that we had running which just made my head hurt. You can find this show on all of the podcast platforms under Disco Fever and of course we have other sister shows which are the Film Podacy and Picard Talk which looks at the Star Trek Picard series. However we're also going to create the two marks channel which will have all of these shows all on one place if your head also hurts just trying to keep up with how many different channels we have we have a solution for you and that is quite simply just to put everything in one place because that makes sense isn't that right 
far easier, isn't it, just to have one thread and everyone just tune in? Because we've got lots of exciting things happening, haven't we? Well, that's kind of where the whole logic of the theory of logical sensibleness came from, insofar as there was loads of other stuff that we wanted to get stuck into doing, and the idea of having to set up a social media channel and a new podcast channel for everything that was whirling around in our heads was not going to be good for our health. When we originally set out to do this, we planned to do a couple of different shows, because obviously a film policy was our starting show, wasn't it? It was our first one. And then Disco Fever and then Picard talk. As we've then thought of other things, actually we probably want to do some personal branding and make it about the things we talk about. Your job makes it easier for you, doesn't it? It does. Go and check us out on there. Throw us all your comments. If you want to uh, ask any questions, if you want to point out just exactly how incompetent we are at doing this, then you can fire it all onto the Two Marks channels. We insist you let us know what you think, both in terms of the shows generally, but of course about the specific topics that we're talking about. And because we're a glutton for punishment, having done the 13 episodes, the ball-by-ball commentary, for want of a better phrase, of Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, we felt an absolute need to do a review of Season 3 so as to avoid (laughs) treading over the ground that we have thoroughly stomped on to the point where we've worn out all of the grass. We thought we'd have an awards ceremony for Season 3, didn't we? Great idea. That's obviously a new idea, it's it's revolutionary, but we were hoping that as we would go through our awards, it would probably bring to light some of our finer thoughts about the show as a whole. Yep. So shall we get started? <laughs> Let us crack on, sir. The first award we're going to call the Noob Award, and this goes to the best new character that we came across in Season 3. So, Mark, would you like to give me your candidate for this award? I will then give my candidate, and as we debate, we will decide who is right. I'm trying to think... <laughs> Of the new characters. <laughs> this is cutting-edge research, people. Well, I know there were some. It's whether I could care less. <laughs> well, shall I go first, then? Because I've got... I've probably well, got, I've got the... I've got the winner here. Well, I've got one. Go on, then. But it comes with a caveat. Okay. So, so let me tell you who I thought was the best newcomer. Okay. Grey. Okay. But the caveat is, unfortunately, the bury your gaze trope was followed. So as soon as we introduced the pioneering character, they were killed off. Although I thought it was best newcomer, it was also best outbound character. And what do we think is going to happen? Grey's a difficult one because I think this lends itself to the whole of season three. They kind of had no plan for this character whatsoever, did they? No, but it was the reason why I liked it as a new character was because it also massively shoehorned the trill back into the show. And we'd only really seen them that's a series of next generation but mostly Deep Space Nine was when they were introduced I know we should be visiting new species where we are I just thought it was quite nice to bring the trill back in they just didn't handle that storyline it wasn't well written it wasn't well executed it was rushed it was poorly concluded and the character that could well have been a very good character for the crew dynamic was squandered and wasted and thrown away because we refer to Grey as a character but I'm not entirely certain Grey necessarily falls into the definition of a character because they're dead, aren't they? Is Grey dead? Is it a figment of Adira's imagination? Or is it him... Is it him? Yeah, it is. Is Grey a figment of Adira's imagination? Or is there some I'm stuck in a, I don't know, the thingy zone? (laughs) The Twilight Zone, stuck between worlds, as it were. 
At the moment, I think it's one of the past hosts of the symbiote Trill. Technically, it's a figment of imagination. Well, it's, it's a memory, isn't it? I mean, yeah, when we when we came across Dax in Deep Space Nine, Jadzia and Dax, and Esri uh, Dax, it was very much that they could tap into the memories of the former hosts, but that didn't ever imply that those memories had such consciousness that they could A, have a conversation, and B, could have a longing to want to come back to life again. The thing they've done here is they've made the memories sentient. My understanding was the memories were non-corporeal entities. They weren't sentient. It was a memory. People say I've got a memory of an elephant. To give you an example, I remember one time when I went to the zoo, I saw an elephant. That's what they've done. They've made the memory interactive, which is why I was saying Grey was best newcomer. She was, he he was best, the character was best character because they were introduced, but they were also killed off very quickly. And that's why it was a very short-lived best character. Shall I tell you why you're going to lose this? I'm sure you've got a far better one, but you've probably got a better memory than me. Well, of course I have. Book is my best new of the season. I mean, Book has been consistently amazing throughout. He's been funny, he's been witty, he's been heroic, he's been a little bit of eye candy. He's helped make Burnham a more rounded character. I definitely think Book, well, I suppose he would be the best character, although his character has been called into question somewhat when one asks the question of how he's managed to get a bit of large dust mite into his DNA. One wonders what he's been doing to said dust mite for that to have been the case. Maybe bestiality is not illegal anymore. <laughs> is it called bestiality if it's between different races of, of species of planets? Raciality. I tell you what, we should leave it there while we're ahead. I definitely think Book, and let me just lay it firmly on the line, Book is alive... <laughs> Book has been able to interact with people and we know that Book's going to be around for next season as an alive person. And therefore, for me, that's why I believe I am well and truly right on this issue. Haven't forgotten about Book. You are absolutely right, 100%. Were there any other new characters that either tickled your fancy or you just thought failed miserably? If I cast my mind back, there were loads, but they all were unrepresented because of time. We've said this so many times. They've just thrown in so many things into the mix. Because Zasira was a new one, and she was going to be the big bad, wasn't she? And I think for one episode, she was pretty cool. The the negotiation episode, where we had that line of duty style interaction across a table, was absolutely tour de force. But again, I wasn't fearful of her. I wasn't worried. It was like the time when you found out Daleks could climb the stairs. Massive disappointment. There was so much value in that character because they'd bulked up the Orions and the Andorians have been bulked up from what we'd seen them before and cast your mind back to uh, Enterprise. All the Orion men were bald, so they've given them these crop hair, little trendy, like a Ken doll haircut. They didn't intimidate me at all. And what about uh, Admiral? Admiral Thingy, what's it? I mean, I suppose this is a damning indictment of the characters themselves that I can't even remember. What about Admiral Vance? A good introduction to a new character. Wasn't sure whether I trusted him at the beginning he grew on me but we didn't see enough of him in narratives to give me a rounded impression of whether he was worth anything so let me give you an example on a parallel when Christopher Pike was introduced in season 2 he played quite a hefty role he was a newcomer to the season and they interacted with him he forged his own persona on screen and he bought into his character pretty well in a short space of time with this Admiral we haven't seen him since till what episode 3, 4 yeah almost a fared in to the season and then you could probably total his green 
time to about 10 minutes. I mean, I think the biggest time was when they were doing the interviews. Yeah. When they were trying to work out whether Discovery was a threat to their bubble. I quite enjoyed that episode. Certainly when uh, Giorgio was cocking around (laughs) with just generally breaking the hologram doctor. It had the balance of humour. It wasn't getting over encumbered with sets and special effects and visuals. It was just simply table, two chairs, interview style that we know is tried and tested. I enjoyed that episode and it had all of the elements that we like about Star Trek. It wasn't heavy salad. It wasn't trying to be political. It wasn't trying to push agendas. It was just a really nice episode that allowed us to meet these new people. So who are we giving the award to then for the The noob? I would say yours, but... Excellent. 1-0 to me. Oh, yeah. You've turned into a... Oh, of course I have. Everything's a competition (laughs) in my life. Yeah, I'm in it to win it, friend. There's there's no friendly games in my life. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if you've managed to get some little trophies engraved. (laughs) I I will go and find one out of my trophy box. (laughs) Oh, I like that. That indicates you've won something. Right, so, shall we move on to the second award? This we've named the Wet Tissue Award. (laughs) This goes to... When you see book on screen, is that what happens? Well, I suppose I will leave you to determine what your own definition of a shortlisted character would be for this award. Who would you nominate as your winner in Adira. waiting? Adira. Adira. Okay. If we're going to assume that wet tissue means that you've cried into it, then it's either going to be Tilly or Adira. And I think Adira wins by a tear. <laughs> I mean, at one point I was ringing up the plumber. <laughs> because it was just flood warnings that's a real I mean it's a real shame with Adira she came to us in I think it was episode 3 when they went or 4 when they went back to her and on that one episode she had a bit of spunk about her not to not to make reference back to the wet tissue but, <laughs> but she seemed that she would be a good fun character with depth and shades of various light and darkness to make her interesting as well and yeah. they kind of took that great start and much the same as they seem to do for the entire of this season just bollocksed it up from the get-go didn't they oh massively because she just spent the rest of season three crying about whether or not grey was real don't forget adira is also a newcomer yeah and we've completely missed that entirely well she was so underserved as a character wasn't she she maybe got five seconds here and five seconds there throughout the course of this season there was nothing of a significant period with the exception of the one where they went to trill and she had to go through the process of coming to terms with the symbiont convincing the trill that she should be allowed to keep the symbiont with the exception of that episode I, I can't really name an awful lot she did no i agree and that's the problem if you can't remember the names or what they did or what role they played that's a massively sad indictment to the characters writing okay so you've given adira your nomination for the wet tissue award i am going to nominate saru and i'm going to nominate saru not because he was crying i'm going to nominate him because he was a big wet crybaby with pretty much everything he did in this season from grassing up Burnham on a regular basis to his superiors which is an outrageously bad form thing to do right the way through to as soon as it suited him he ignored all of the rules that he took the moral high ground on and went off crying to try and I don't know profess that somehow it was more poignant that he hadn't seen his species than it was for anyone else to have seen theirs well, both Saru and Burnham seemed to cherry-pick what was the rule and what wasn't when it suited their own personal agenda. Hypocrisy rules, apparently, in the season. Saru, I mean, that, that's a valid one as well. Has he got tear ducts? He did whinge. He was a moany bitch, wasn't he? <laughs> he wasn't. 
He was. He was absolutely just horrendous. I mean, if he'd have been my pal, I think I probably would have slapped him at some point and told him to get his shit together. Yeah, I've got rid of friends who will just whinge your best. You ain't got, you got rid of me yet. You're not a whinge, are you? Oh. In this universe, we get on. You mentioned Tilly. Tilly was maybe not crying, although she was very sad. She just, I don't think she could hold a conversation without getting morose. Yeah. To just seem to be, like, I'd get up in the morning if I was on the ship in my hypothetical world. I'd get me coffee. I'd go onto the deck at the turbo lift 15 hours later to work. And then I'd have a chat with her and I'd make the fatal mistake of asking Tilly how she was. And that would be the ruin to my day. And then probably what I'd do, then I'd just get back on the turbo lift and spend the next 14 hours trying to get back home. <laughs> she just didn't fill me with positive stuff. She wasn't sure about herself. She was lacking confidence, self-esteem, the self-loathing. All of those things for me are not historically Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. What did you think about Tilly? Well, I mean, we'll probably come to Tilly a bit further down in some of our other awards. I was just bitterly disappointed with Tilly as a character in this season. I just thought they just went completely off-piste with her this well, season. Well, they did. It didn't make any sense what they were doing at all. Let me cast your mind back to Ensign Kim, a conversation he has with Janeway in one of the corridors where he questions Janeway and says, I've been an Ensign for seven years. Now, let's overlay that now. So he's been an Ensign for seven years and is questioning it after seven years. Ensign Tilly has been, we're going to say for the benefit of what we've seen on screen, three years. Well, she hasn't because she wasn't even, was she, had she just become an Ensign when, once she going on the command program, what was that? Oh, uh, the running one. Yeah. Does that just mean you can move up from being an Ensign? I think it's probably like when you take the sergeant's exam, you know, in the police oh, yeah. force. I think it means that you do the training and when there's an opening, you will be shortlisted, I imagine. But even so, following due process, if you've got a lieutenant commander, they're likely to be promoted to commander or captain. Yeah. The whole thing, she kind of subverted the process by going from ensign straight to captain. I mean, I'm not too sure what the average period of being an ensign is in Star Trek canon. To go from ensign, jump past all of these qualified crew members to become captain and then do the job shit. And then the first time you want to relinquish it, just hand it to a renegade who pleases herself. A narcissist. Yes, indeed. Okay, so our nominees for the Wet Tissue Award are Adira and Saru. Any thoughts on who should win it? Well, I chose the last one, so I'm afraid it has to be you. Okay, well, to know. You see, Saru was a really, really, really whiny noise of a character this episode. And whilst I don't want to feel like I should be 2 nil up, I do feel I should be 2 nil up. I think Adira more found herself in this situation because she was badly served in the writing and whilst I know Saru's character has been written that way he's just been an unnecessarily horrible <laughs> noise throughout most of this season but in different ways you see Adira was just lots of crying whereas Saru's been like whining and moaning and grassing and just all, lots of little things he's like death by a million paper cuts so are you choosing him because he's acted the role better to be honest he should get this award just because so I I'm giving it to Saru. <laughs> okay. Tactical voting at its best. Uh, are you going to demand a recount? I'll be asked. I've got Donald <laughs> Trump on the case. <laughs> Uh, right, next award. We're going to call this the Red Shirt Award. Now, this can be for the best death of a character or it can be for the best death scene. Shall I go first this time? You go, you go first, yeah. So, because of my general lack of research, I'm going to go quite generic with this insofar as the episode where we had Giorgio going back to the Mirror Universe. The end of episode 10, Giorgio had been duped by everyone and there was that standoff and 
basically everyone got killed without, without putting too fine a point on it. And in typically Mirror Universe and slightly Netflixy type way, there was lots of sword slicing and people getting shot and blood being splattered. So I'm going to go with that one for the inability to particularly call upon a specific death of a character, which actually for me, and we've touched on this a couple of times before, is an issue. I don't know whether it's because I'm a bloodthirsty psychopath, but it's I want to see characters getting bumped off. I want to feel the fear. So, for example, Buck or his Poussey, if they are going through this season, I want to genuinely feel that they could end up getting shot, sliced, killed or tortured at any point and that that will be the end of the character, even though I love that character because I become emotionally invested at that point. The problem is with how it's sort of gone is it's one of those where it doesn't matter how much peril they find themselves in. They never get killed off and so you sit there going, it's all right, they'll get out of this. Well, that's the problem when you know the outcome. For example, with Giorgio, we knew that was going to be a spin-off show, so her departure wasn't really something you could invest in because you knew she wasn't going to die. She would just be moved sideways into another reality or whatever they were going to write for her. Very good award because for me, thinking out the box, I would probably, in terms of the death of something, I would say season three. <laughs> oh, very good. If I was screwed down, I think you've actually identified probably one of the episodes where we had the greatest loss of characters. Well, and they killed everyone, didn't they? They quite literally killed the whole of the Discovery lot. On the Mirror Universe, they did. I mean, if you think about people who died across the journey, the people who were killed off were probably people we didn't even know the names of or cared about. So it was the only episode that had the greatest number of deaths of characters we knew about. The character that I thought was the best death in the episode is Lieutenant Nielsen who gets shot in the head I'm sure it's that one yeah at the end of all of the massacre and you think the final five and then suddenly there's a double double bluff complete turnaround where is it Burnham who shoots her in the face yeah, I think so yeah how bad is it we just don't know what happened a sad indictment of this series the lady who plays her Sarah Mitich was the woman who originally played Ariel well they brought her back she played Lieutenant Nielsen so it's her death because I wasn't expecting that it was after all of the massacre I thought she got through and I quite liked like her because she's blonde <laughs> is that your thing <laughs> well i mean a pulse as well <laughs> see grave robbery is not not very good these days <laughs> more people are getting cremated oh dear oh well uh, can i choose the winner of this award again <laughs> Well, do you, you like the outcome of this one because I'm going to actually give you your first answer to this award, which was season three. The red shirt award goes to season three because I think you're absolutely right. You mentioned, and I don't know, you might have to hand the viewing figures for season three, and they've been pretty put. The feedback and the reviews of season three have been particularly poor. I mean, it's one of those where if season four don't pull its socks up, you could end up not seen a season five of star trek discovery which i think bearing in mind how season one started and how season two continued it'd be a real crying shame to lose one of these series so quickly i would put it down to incompetency because i think there's lots of things that even me and you suggested throughout the course of season three that would very easily rectify something that seems to have been done in a, a slight half-assed hurry well let me give you some background figures i haven't got all the figures to hand but let me give you an example of what cbs did prior 
to the launch of season three. For the first time ever, they launched season one onto CBS Online. Now, to give you some of the figures, now bear in mind the demographic is an 18 to 49 demographic. So it encompasses new fans, it encompasses the ones who are returning who have loved Star Trek. So it encompasses the right demographic. The opening episode of season one that aired on CBS was watched by 1.7 million people. And out of that, the demographic of that was 0.20, which means that out of that 1.7 million, 200,000 people were aged between 18 and 49. So it means that the rest of the people watching are the hardcore returning, like yourself, and I know you're not 50, but the hardcore people... I feel it sometimes, mate. When you stand up and you go, oof. Oh, uh, yeah, no, well, I do that. I definitely notice I do that these days. It means that the rest of those figures, the 1.5 million people, one and a half million people are just hardcore fans. And the last episode was watched by 1.5. Throughout the season, they are all around 0.2, consistently across the whole of season one. 200,000 people are watching, which means probably the same people. And what about season three then? Because I I was looking and they haven't got actuals at the moment. If I'm understanding this right, what you're saying is from almost the get-go, the audience who have been consuming this have been the hardcore original fans and therefore the idea that you might try and stray into something, well, I won't even say stray into something new. I think the idea is to make sure that you give that audience what it's desiring as opposed to trying to capture new audiences who clearly aren't watching at the minute. The new audience would be your 18 onwards out of the 18 to 49. 200,000 people make up that number. Any 1.5 is outside of that. It means that your new audience is tuning in consistently. And because this was an online of the first season to boost the figures for season three, that's not a good starting point. And if you want to put that into comparable terms, when Supergirl debuted on CBS six years ago, they opened with a 12.9 million. And the demographic for that was 315,000 people in the 18 to 49 demographic. And when it got cancelled by CBS because it was no longer viable, it got cancelled on a viewership of 6.1 million. And the demographic there was 1.28. And only because of the fans it got picked up by the CW, but it's been cancelled again. That's a comparable show. How are we saying they fix this? Are we saying that they need to pull the socks up and come up with a season four that is exactly what the hardcore returning Star Trek fans are after? Something new, something that's obviously true to the Star Trek universe, but by the same token, isn't something that just keeps on retreading the same tropes over and over again? Or are we saying they need to mix it up? They need to get the fingers out that are stop being so... What's the word I'm looking for? Andering? No. Political? No. When you just assume automatically it's going to be fine. Complacency? Yeah. Stop being so complacent that whatever crap they roll out will just be consumed because, I mean, we've touched upon this quite a few times previously, that there is so much high-quality TV out there at the minute. You're up against some big dogs who have got a mighty bark on them, and unless you compete, you're not going to attract new audiences. You're not going to hold new audiences. And actually, over time, you're just going to start to irritate the audiences who were there out of pure loyalty if no other reason. I agree entirely, and I've said this consistently across this season. I mean, to add further evidence to what we're talking about, Netflix had a three-year deal with CBS, and in fact, in the end, CBS had to give Netflix the short treks for free because Netflix didn't want them, and Netflix said it, the season's underperformed. Now, the other telling thing is that CBS has removed season four from their scheduling. Oh, dear. And although they're saying they're doing things, the other thing is, obviously, they can't get insurance for Patrick Stewart at the moment because he's 80. Picard's in the ether at the moment. The only thing that on the schedule right now is Strange New Worlds which is the 
five-year period before Captain Kirk. So that would work. The interesting thing that we saw, which seemed out of place for me, was the end credit quote from Gene Rodenbury, followed by the original series music, which is completely misplaced and an odd ending for a season. Yeah. If this means that that could just be a dovetail into Strange New Worlds, that would make sense because that is leading you into the Kirk era of original series. To put the Gene Rodenbury quote is something they've never done before. And unfortunately, the other thing that Alex Kirksman has gone on record to say, when he wrote the show, it wasn't about the Star Trek. It was about political things going on. And he's gone on record. That's not me saying it. He's made it clear. It's all about the agendas that are going on behind it to address what you said. How can they change this? Let's forget about trying to shoehorn modern day storytelling into a sci-fi show that's depicting a future that we already know from 1960s future is far, far better than our current present. There are other shows available. There's so many shows I'm watching at the moment, The Rookie, Blue Bloods, SWAT and others that are handling the Black Lives Matters topic right now. They're handling it from a police procedural point of view. They're handling it in a way that is respectful, asks the question, gives you the dilemma and doesn't shoehorn it. With this, it's literally just being ticking boxes and unfortunately the viewer, the fan, will just get bored. It'll just be fatigue being preached to. We don't want to be preached to. We've said this before, we want to be able to sit and watch a show and have a break from reality. Okay, so I'm going to give you this award for the red shirt. So that's 2-1 to me. Uh, (laughs) The next award we're calling the Brown Trousers Award and that is for the biggest mistake slash accident slash cock up, you know, when you think it's going to be a fart and it turns out not to be. So do you want me to go first or would you like to go first with your nomination? You go first. So I'm going to nominate Tilly being in charge as my biggest brown trouser moment. We've already touched on it, so I won't go into too much detail as to why it's fundamentally flawed that you would give the least experienced crew member the keys to the castle and then all the responsibility that goes with it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Saru's wholly culpable for this decision. To be perfectly honest, Admiral Vance ought to be held culpable, although, in fairness, if you watch that moment, you can see written all over Admiral Vance's face, he's thinking, really? (laughs) So, I I suppose I won't hold him as much responsible. It's definitely Saru, and she didn't do a good job, did she? No, that is one of the brown trouser moments. I mean, I think I shat myself when it happened. (laughs) So, who's your nomination? On equal par, might even be a draw, I don't know. Well, you're deciding, so... Okay, I'm going to say the moment Saru decided to stay on a planet with a pubescent child who couldn't get his own way, just because he's got the same ganglia. Uh, well, that's the equivalent of me finding a homeless person and deciding to be homeless just because he's a human. Well, I mean, actually, that's you've raised a good point there about the ganglia. If he was 120 years old, or he'd been on that ship for 120 years, mm. won't his ganglia have been and gone and dropped off in the same way as Saru's? We never saw his ganglia popping out. You know, when he got all scared, his little dangly bits didn't come popping out and wiggling around. One assumes that he must have had his ball dropping moments in the same way as Saru has. Well, I mean, if you go by my anatomy, they're probably down by his shoe. <laughs> but by the same token, we didn't see the spikes popping out either when he felt threatened. He probably ran out of the CGI budget doing those fucking stupid ears on grey. Yeah. Oh, no, it was a deer who had the stupid oh, yeah. ears that looked like he'd just been a bit of blue tack that they'd gone, oh, yeah, well, we'll mould that. It'll be fine. We'll sort it in post, Eddie. Yeah, and then forgot. <laughs> 
Okay, so who's getting this then? I think it's a toughie. Well, I mean, it's I'm, your call. I, I'm going to have to say Tilly because I'm 100% behind that it's the most ridiculous thing ever decided. If I was one of the crew, if I was Dave, for example, he's been pulling his weight consistently for three seasons now. Doing many people's like, jobs. Absolutely that. Overtime, working bank holidays, all of that. <laughs> And then like, below inflation pay rises. Flipping he's probably paying them. And then down the pipeline, whilst he's cleaning out a turbo lift because a pussy's exploded everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> a pussy juice on the inside of a. Of a these those Kleenex, the best award for a most clean, clean turbo lift. So he then finds out Tilly's the captain. He would be royally pissed off because he's been working his arse off. Well, I mean, if he is indeed cleaning the turbo lifts, having now seen the inner workings of the turbo lift area, that's one hell of a place to have to clean. Well, yeah, because once you get in it, you're committed to that journey, aren't you? <laughs> there's, so, there's so much space. I mean, maybe that should be a nominee for the brown trouser moment. The idiot who designed that ship layout on the basis that most of the crew seem to have to share their quarters with another crew member so you have to bunk in with someone Burnham has to share with Tilly none of them can have their own quarters like they used to have on the Enterprise D and yet the designer of the ship felt it was appropriate to have a universe which was the back working parts of the turbo lift system which seemed to be bigger than the ship the turbo lift system that was designed by Salvador Dali <laughs> it was mega so yeah, yeah. well that's just a shit award <laughs> I'll give that as a draw then because we both went for Tilly next award that I want one of those award this is for the piece of technology that we saw in this season in the far 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 distant future that we would probably stick on our Christmas list do you want me to go first yeah why not was there well I'm going for you can tell how much research we've done for this I'm going for the communicator badge the new communicator that kind of does everything I mean you've got the little you push it and all the computer screen comes off on that which is cool and the site-to-site -site transport that it offers you've got to be happy with one of those see i like that you're talking to someone's got a phone from 2005 <laughs> um point-to-point -point transport was a good idea why are people getting in turbo lifts that's a very good point. I suppose it's a bit like decorum. Maybe it's bad form for you just to transport from A to B in case you, I don't know, land on somebody because, well, one assumes you have to know that the area where you're transporting to is clear. Otherwise, won't you end up with a two-vic scenario where you transport on top of someone and they either explode or become part and parcel of your personage. So if you accidentally beam into Buck's quarters for a little bit of loving and you accidentally land on his post, do you end up becoming a big pussy? We end up becoming Tilly. I'm yeah. standing by this because I, I think it, I mean, it's a great piece of kit. The chances are we'll probably have one of these in real life in about the next 10 years. So it's probably not technology that's beyond the realms of being in the future. Perhaps the transportation is. I should clarify that before I start getting reams of messages going, you really think that we're going to be able to transport from site to site in 10 years? No, I don't think that at all. But Look at your beard. It looks like you're transporting with a pussy in there <laughs> yeah well i did we've yeah. merged <laughs> that's a good one and to address the point-to-point -point thing you would have a more refined heisenberg compensator which controls the speed position of the atoms which means that when you re-emerge to the side <laughs> hang on a minute, i've lost you i've lost you play the whale music 
Anyway, you get the drift. I'm going to pick a technology that wasn't in this, but was established in Enterprise in the same century. What? You can't do that. That's outrageous. Well, it's not really. It's technically exists. It's 900 years in the future. They've created a technology that Discovery decided to just fuck off. <laughs> Go on, then. So it's the one that you basically slip onto your hand, and I don't mean those gel packs that they use to... <laughs> well, I, you know, I was, the other thing I was going to suggest as a great new introduction was the sensual hand gel things, which probably be used for multiple reasons. COVID-19 being one of them now. That's the other one. But this one was basically like a little glove thing that you slid on, and it allowed you to pass through solid objects. So when Enterprise was being invaded, the future guy gave Captain Archer this glove thing and allowed him to pass through into the Jeffy's tube and immediately take out the invader shall i tell you what i don't think should get the award the new separate nacelles thing that's a bag of shit (laughs) i still remain utterly baffled as to why that was in any way of use with books it perhaps was a bit more because the ship basically dismantled itself to get around the obstacle to put itself back together again and that kind of makes sense but when you're talking about discovery it was just the two back bits that came off and nothing else and so it didn't really seem to serve any purpose except it looked a bit more modern (laughs) It was a technology introduced for the sake of introducing something to make it look wonderful. It was style over substance. And what about the EMH? Was it an EMH? Was it just a medical hologram as opposed to an emergency medical hologram? But what about the hologram that could be broken with your eyes? It was a nice little thing. I enjoyed the Doctor and Voyager for me. That's it. It would have been nice to have seen the Doctor. You see, that's a really good thing. If they brought Robert Picardo back, who I thought played an amazing Doctor, and in the future, that it's the same hologram. That would be a really good little tie-in. Well, he should still theoretically be alive. As a hologram, he'll probably be be old technology now. But even the thing about the holodeck that we saw with that kid, even if the holographic projections there were old tech and it was the Doctor, that would have allowed me not to have to fast-forward it because I've got this magic power now. (laughs) Any (laughs) time there's any pandering or any bullshit, I just fast-forward it. (laughs) My episode's about 25 minutes now. I didn't realise this until that scene. And then you were saying, oh, do you remember when that happened? That I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was the last episode, wasn't it? It was. And to answer your question, in terms of technology, I quite liked the Orion guns. Right. I could use that quite a lot. Queuing in Asda, trying to get a trolley. And you've got those knobheads who hang around trolleys, trying to get a pound in them. Yeah. To vaporise them and just get me trolley. Which new tech are you going to go with? I would say the communicator, only because of the point-to-point transport, not for all the other stuff. I couldn't be arsed doing all that. <laughs> Uh, Again, people, this is coming from the person who has a phone from 1903. Right, next award, we have the couldn't give a... Award and this goes to the nominee. <laughs> this goes to the crappiest storyline of season three, and I'm sure there are plenty to choose from. Now, I'm going to go first here and say that my nomination for this award was the Emerald Chain, who, quite frankly, we knew no more about come the end of it. Throughout the course of this season, had been told it was super bad, only to find out that after a single person had been killed and a big ship, all right, a big ship had been blown up, but apparently that wasn't the hull of the chain it dismantled itself and capitulated yeah (laughs) 
I agree. I think where my disappointment stems from is this was supposed to be the big new bad, and I assumed this was going to be the big new bad for the next couple of seasons, mainly because there wasn't anything else that had established itself during the course of season three, and it seems like it's not going to be the big bad for season four. The rather meh way in which it it just it, it got ended as quickly as again talking about shop sharp shrifts. I think the Emerald Chain got about fifteen seconds of storyline in each episode, and then the last three episodes involved the big bad and that was about as much information as I really got. I think they got a couple of honourable mentions just for the sake of keeping it relevant. Who are you going my, with then? My one would be the Bairn storyline. <laughs> I mean, to give you context, it's as if the writers just were like, zero fucks were given. <laughs> They're like, it's COVID, people are dying, everyone's locked down, who's going to watch this? <laughs> because what the fuck was that about it was just horrendous we've got this big thing and it started off really good it was quite mysterious what's this burn it killed all of these millions of Starfleet officers it's quite emotional to think well it was like a who's done it wasn't it it started off that way but I think about the level I know how many fans were upset at the loss of 71 crew members when the Borg Cube took a chunk out the Enterprise saucer to put it into context of having the entirety of Starfleet we're talking bases we're talking any ship that contains the lithium crystal warp drive ending up exploding millions of people have died this has got to be something big and it's basically a guy whose ganglia are down by his knees <laughs> and that's your answer a child with a gun is what has caused the burn yeah fuck off that's what i say <laughs> It was just such a shit way to resolve that issue. I mean, it pretty much rendered all of the effort and energy that Burnham had put in to figure out what the cause was. Yeah. It basically defined it as a complete waste of time and energy. Oh, absolutely. Bear in mind, which people probably have forgotten of because they've fallen into a coma, she was a year on the planet before Discovery landed. So she's had 12 months. I know she's been climbing book, but in addition to that, while they're doing some pillow tour... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he could be having a chat couldn't he and going that was really good that have you got a cigarette there <laughs> what do you think about this burn like why well, I've dropped I've dropped, dropped that there's, there's a cream from that from the dots and you didn't get it from me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens with too much friction <laughs> the spit came out there no absolutely. that's what she said <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Real ones are the best. Love it. (laughs) She did say that, yeah. Not to me. Still got the injunction out. (laughs) Pull yourself person. Oh, anyway. I mean that. To be honest, the way you what you've just said there made the burn sound more interesting than it actually was. Friction. Ah, oh, yes. Overuse of the Karma Sutra. Well, I'm going to choose the burn on this one because I do think that the burn was just outrageously poor in its ending. It was just so. Ugh. No, agreed. It was a species who has no history of having the abilities to do what he. I mean, let's put it this way: if a human, so let's take. 
Chernobyl, mass nuclear fallout. Someone's pregnant, is stuck within the confines of the boundaries of the Chernobyl disaster. Dies of radiation poisoning because, of course, the conditions you have to live in. Gives birth before they die. And the child that they give birth to is able to destroy the earth with a paddy. Is basically what they're saying. When there is radiation issues, you do find that embryos are born with like extra eyes and ears and you know fingers and stuff because they become mutated as a result of it. But not to the extent that they have some universal superpower. This child, when it was born, should lasted about five minutes and died yeah not overnight gone yeah i can handle this radiation there's no evidence nor scientific justification for why i can go from being a normal kelpian to one that can resist and live in a radiation poisoned atmosphere for 120 years well especially when i said the radiation poison is exactly the same as what killed spock yeah so it's the same poisoning and yet we've got a kelpian who as you say has lived through all this and by stamping his foot and shouting a bit louder has killed millions of in history who do we know that's killed millions of people out of hand? <laughs> And so therefore, I'm hoping the Geneva Convention kicks in. He will be tried for his crimes against humanity. Amen. And also, the writers need to be held. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you get that one. The next award, the Really? Award, which goes to what I am going to describe as the shittest MacGuffin that has allowed for a storyline to be moved on or a death-teetering danger to be resolved. Over to you, sir. Spore drive. <laughs> really? It just so happens that in the future that doesn't have spore drive technology, a ship that comes along that allows them to travel to every single position they need to be to address a particular problem that the Federation in the future can't do because they're millions and millions of light years away, that the spore drive technology just happens to work in those situations. <laughs> That's true. What was yours? Well, you see, I don't know. I I don't know whether I've got a little bit left fields on it because I've got a couple. I had the burn on my list as like the MacGuffin that caused the disaster of the entire universe. It was like the, really? Is that who genuinely caused it? So that's what I went with as my first choice. But we've already mentioned the burn. So my second choice was the turbo lifts when we were looking (laughs) at the way in which Discovery crew get around the ship and it would seem that in order to get around the ship you can basically, I don't know, go into an entirely new universe and just end up wherever it is that you need to be. I don't know. The Nacelles was a pretty crap MacGuffin as well. It's like, it detaches. I don't know. What what other ones have we seen? I feel there's more. There's, I feel there's a main one that we're missing here. Well, a MacGuffin is really something that they use to completely address problem or get them out of a situation. So although the Nacelles are new technology, they're never really, that I could see, used to achieve an outcome that was better with them than without them. I suppose one of the ultimate MacGuffins has been the big Pornhub sphere. Yes, because you have mentioned that a few times the porn dump. If in doubt, yeah. the sphere's got the answer. Let's see, the sphere came up with the solution right at the beginning when they almost were given the first task and Burnham had to go and get some plant seeds or something to save a species. That had the answer to that. They were able to help Saru deal with his PTSD adult crew and how to get them back on board it helped with cleaning up the office with the little robots and obviously at the big end became warrior robot soldiers to defeat the big bad that was the emerald chain if ever they've needed a solution the sphere has been the way forward and obviously the biggest solution for the sphere has been late at night when people have been left with nothing to do and have needed to access the database under those folders marked private <laughs> 
Do not delete. Saru, the captain's private collection. Yeah. Everyone's got one of the ones, haven't they? Hidden, personal. Oh my god, can you hear those seagulls? Is that what that noise is? That's seagulls? I think I'm being invaded by seagulls, people. You've got a roof made out of seeds. (laughs) Right, they've Um, gone now. What are we choosing as the shittest MacGuffin? Your one. <laughs> the pawn dump. Yeah. The pawn dump the re- sphere. The reason why is because it was used more frequently. Okay. Now, sticking with the very well structured, planned research quality that we've done thus far, I'm going to create a new off the cuff award, which would be for the most underserved character in this season. Have we had an underserved yearning for in season three? Reno. The city or the character? Both. <laughs> Reno in Reno. We we love Reno, don't we? I I can't even come up with another candidate other than Reno. The one who wasn't present. Every time she's in the scene, pure hilarity. Well, episode two, which was a really strong episode, had her absolutely tearing strips off people, and it was brilliant. And then occasionally she'd pop up for five seconds here and there and completely transformed the scene. Yeah, absolutely. And it didn't make sense because we've already established the crew isn't that vast. So to not have these people in each episode in whatever capacity just didn't make sense do you think there was an issue with the character or as in like the actor was there an issue with the actor was there a a contract issue was there an issue with the filming was it during the pandemic or they boxed it off by the time the world went to shit i think it might be a few things that usually the problem they have with things is scheduling issues between the cast isn't it which is why you can't always have the same people in sometimes i imagine the latter episodes may well have conflicted with the current lockdowns because i'm led to believe that there were certain scenes cut out of this season that may be regurgitated in season four if it happens. Reno most definitely is the only character that gives me a smile. As soon as I see her on screen, I know that's going to be a funny scene. Like again, just to kind of jump on the Mandalorian thing, you're watching the Mandalorian and you're not even aware that time is moving. You're just watching it. I mean, there's an episode of Mandalorian, I've said it a few times, it's half an hour and it doesn't feel like half an hour. Reno's character just allows you to lose yourself and the scene is just really strong whenever she's on because you know she's just going to take the piss out of people well we were definitely lacking some comic relief this year Tilly was a great comic relief character and she obviously became very serious so we lost Tilly we hardly saw Reno Book was quite nice comic relief but he was wasn't used in every episode either no and his humour is slightly different yeah Reno is kind of quite cutting sarcastic very cleverly witted with their comeback these are the light characters I know you mentioned like light and darkness you want characters that are polar opposites to allow them to bounce off each other and what you've done is you've ruined Tilly's character because she was the light relief you've ruined Saru Saru was the kind of the straight man to Tilly you need the two that's why it works humour to construct a proper joke you need one person to take it on the chin the other person to get that catch line in and Tilly always managed to do that with various members of the crew those two characters now Tilly and Saru have just been ruined because of the writing and Reno was the only saving grace there because she would come in and just rip into people and troll them so we'll give Reno that award. The penultimate award is what we're calling the Knobhead Award. And this goes to the character who has been the most tragic this season. Who's been the worst? Who's had a right royal stinker? Mm, Stamets. Oh, okay. Good choice. Elaborate. His character for me has not really been written well. This season, there was a glimpse of hope that the writers had woken from their coma and gone, let's give this character three dimensions this time. 
let's push the boundaries of belief. And then very quickly, he just became another whiny bitch who really, really wanted to please everybody and be everyone's friend and be there for them and fix people and have a family and do all the tick box stuff that we're not really bothered about. We're not in the 1980s. It just became, well, a fast forward moment. Yeah. I liked the fact that he was being friendly. He wasn't being his narcissistic, arrogant self and actually was taking time to think about other people. And I quite like that. It's not my cup of tea. I'm not interested in all the sensibilities of things, but I thought, you know what, this is a nice thing to see for this character. But then very quickly, he returned back to his normal self, but then added the bonus of being an ultra knob. Yeah. Well, the probably, I mean, I'm much the same as you. Stamets, when the way he took Adira under his wing was quite sweet, for want of a better phrase. And it was all right. It was quite nice to see him in a slightly more humane light. He wasn't the biggest ass. And then when he was an ass, when Reno was around, I find Reno cuts through that. It allows Stamets to be the ass that he is. But because there's someone there to hold him to account for it in a really humorous, really equally dry ass way, it kind of works. Whereas when Stamets left on his own to be an ass, you just think, oh, a good example of that was at the very end of this season. <laughs> Burnham fires him out of a Jeffrey's tube or whatever it was. And by the time he gets back onto Discovery, he's got a right roll gob on, ignoring the fact that he was absolutely in the wrong at every stage. What Burnham was suggesting wasn't what he was trying to make it as being, which was they were abandoning Culber and Adira on the planet and just saving their own asses. Burnham's plan was very much to get them out of trouble and recollect and then go back to save them. I just found at the end of season three this whole oh now Burnham's the captain but there's some underlying issues that are going to have to be addressed or are going to become a major thing in season four with Stamets I quite frankly couldn't give a shit about because Stamets couldn't be any more wrong in his stance and therefore his stance on it has no standing and I don't think I can use the word stand anymore in one sentence <laughs> but you know what I mean if the first episode of season four is him trying to unsert Burnham because he's absolutely furious at what happened I'm just going to be sitting there going somebody needs to just shoot him because he's clearly a liability oh I totally agree it got tedious and I was fatigued with all of the soppiness really I think I said in one of the episodes previous to this if I wanted to look at that kind of stuff I'd watch the bold and the beautiful <laughs> you know I mean the other thing that I noticed and I wasn't sure whether it was obvious to everyone else is how they've systematically segregated the crew yeah so you had Buck and Burnham together and then you had sort of the LGBT community together so you had Adira Stamets, Culber, Reno, Grey, all together as a group, and then the rest... Well, was... the other ones were like the characters whose names we can't really remember. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, let's have a look. We've got... Owo. Owo is one in that gang. We've got Dietmar. She's yes. in that gang. Lieutenant Nielsen. Yeah. She's in that gang. Lieutenant Bryce. He was in that gang. Lieutenant Reese. He was in that gang. They're kind of like the bridge crew who we don't really know because we know nothing about them and they don't get enough lines or story arc in order to to do it because season three would have been a perfect chance to really flesh those characters out because we don't know what the universe is so you're not being held to have to create this whole new thing as in like you could just have them going around the universe trying to do stuff or think of stuff whilst fleshing out these characters but anyway once we'd established that we weren't going to go home because that was for me one of the biggest questions is how we're getting home you very early on said well I don't think they are going to get home and clearly it seems with the new uniforms that they're not going to bother now the thing 
thing with that is if that was the case bearing in mind we've said it time and time before because they're in the future there's no canon they've decided to bring stuff in from past Trek to appease the fans and not lose their existing core base but the reality is they could have mapped out a future plan for how season 3 would lay the groundwork and then nicely tie into season 4 and that would have allowed an episode with one of the crew so for example using the Lieutenant Barkley character famous actor very good actor from the A-team if people remember the A-team show brought him in as a kind of a odd ball of a crew member who's very clever very intelligent but wasn't working well with the crew and Geordie Laforge came to the captain and said can we get rid of him Picard had one of these wonderful meeting of mind moments and said well York is superior it's your job to make him integrate not just pass him off so we had over a course of the show we had him dip into episodes but we actually had episodes which featured him in the holodeck and so we got to know him a bit better now I realise we've got 13 episodes however if you think about how many we've wasted on utter bullshit the Orion Emerald Syndicate chain toilet chain <laughs> basically we could have omitted those let's have an episode where point to point transporter malfunction and we have like a two vix type thing where Owo is integrated with Nielsen like a freaky Friday you could have had a plot A which ran all the way through the episodes and your plot B could have been a different character each episode couldn't it and by the yeah. end of those 13 episodes you'd have added more detail and flesh to 13 characters which meant that come season 4 Four, you'd have a massive toy box to play with. Oh, absolutely. Because I think where they've brought the supporting actors, Owo, Nielsen, Detmer, from just being on the bridge, they've made more of them, which is great. But if you think about the original series and even Next Gen, you had a core group of maybe six or seven characters who were... Yeah, but they weren't all busy mates. The way they've done it here, everyone within their little cliquey groups are all busy mates. If you think about it, in Voyager, you had the crew split very definitely into two halves of the Starfleet crew and the Marquis with yeah. Deep Space Nine you had a very clear issue between the Bajorans and the people who were there as part and parcel of the Bajoran era and Starfleet even in Next Gen you had like you say you had Lieutenant Barclay you had Worf rubbing people up the wrong way even in the original series McCoy and Spock didn't particularly like each other or rather Spock would say he didn't not like anyone but McCoy really got royally wound up by Spock and it caused problems at various stages. I mean alright, with things like this Stamets story thread, there is that slight dysfunctionality but as I say it doesn't make any sense as to why he feels that way and actually everyone else is best mates so what's the problem? In fact, the only person who added like proper shade and dynamic to the structure was Ash Tyler because he killed someone <laughs> and his fellow was there going, you killed my fella I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about sitting at the same table to eat me tea with you. I'm going to give my nomination to Saru. This is the second time I've given him a shitty nomination and he deserves it for me. He was, there was patches of the old Saru where he was really great. So I quite like the bit where he was dealing with the Vulcans. Um, And I thought he was very good in was it episode 2 where they ended up in sort of that Wild West situation. Yeah, He was very good where he was very calming and reassuring and getting them to focus on doing things so I really liked that but as the season got on when he got to like episode 4 and 5 when we came across Starfleet for the first time he just went royally downhill as we've already touched upon he was a right little kiss ass to his superiors he had loads of double standards none of his decisions made any ounce of common sense whatsoever whether it be a 
point in Tilly, whether it be going on the away mission when there was clearly other people who could do it just as well. That's my suggestion for worst character, and I'm going to let you decide who. Is it going to be your arch nemesis, Stamets, or is it going to be formerly our favourite character, Saru? I'm going to pick Saru because Stamets was already a dick. <laughs> So arguably he's just returned back to his default setting. He's, he's just staying true to his nature. Yeah, he's decided that the writers can fuck off. <laughs> he's he's going to be an arsehole again. I'm going to say Saru because we did like Saru. There was a lot of development of his character. We saw an evolution of him going through the self-doubt and the, the dogs barking and the, the background noise to the show. Honest to God. Look to do little there. Have you got any chickens coming in? My house sounds really exciting with all these noises and it really isn't. <laughs> I have got a massive pussy in there. That's why they're going mental. <laughs> See me be it. <laughs> Saru, we liked his character. They did a lot with his character. We found out his backstory. Even in the short treks, there was a little bit more to that. And then with the ganglia, I know we take the mickey out of it, but that developed him, how he has consistently been overlooked. And in the books, the, the books that attach themselves to this series also talk about him being looked over for captain and command. For him then to get command and give it up in the first instant, literally the first big mission and jib off your crew, you need to ask yourself the question, would Janeway, Kirk, Cisco, Picard, Archer do the same? And the answer is... No. Correct. They would not. The crew would always come first. Picard can't tolerate well-behaved kids. Imagine Picard <laughs> trying to deal with one who would destroy the universe with a single paddy. Oh, yeah. He would probably go, not my circus, not my monkeys, and just zoom out of there. <laughs> so all that tells me is there's no commitment to the crew. That wouldn't feel good as a crew member, that the opportunity for my captain to support us when the shit was hitting the fan just gets off. Absolutely. So that's why I'm saying I agree with your decision. And so we come on to the final award, people. It is the Season 3 MVP, which sounded like it rhymed better when I said it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> this is for the best character of season three. We've been very down on it, but are there any shining lights to come from this unholy shit show? The best character is the person who typed up the end credits. <laughs> No, you've got to do better than that. Okay, joking aside, I'm going to pick Reno. Okay. Have we already covered why we like Reno? Oh, yeah. We've covered that well and truly. My MVP is going to be Burnham because... Really? Well, think about it. So, Burnham in season one was very serious, very Vulcan-esque. And I quite like that because she was a bit of a no-nonsense, completely devoid of any self-awareness character and it got her into a lot of trouble. Well, it started a massive war for a start. But And that was quite good. I quite like that because she ruffled people up the wrong way on a, an almost ongoing basis and that caused issues which created storylines and that was good. Season 2 she took a bit of a wobble because I really didn't buy the whole Spock, Burnham brother, sistery thing at all thought that was a really weak storyline and so I thought she wasn't really well served in season 2. Season 3 having spent a year on her own without the crew, having to deal with a universe where there are no real Starfleet rules so she's had to let her hair down quite literally I mean we've established she has the fastest growing hair in the Alpha Quadrant and obviously because Book has injected some of his wonderful charisma into her body <laughs> you want to reword that <laughs> 
She was uber cool. She looked cool with her hair down. She acted cool. She was way more relaxed. When people came to her with problems, she was like, yeah, it's not a problem. Let's see what we can do about it. Just everything about her as a character was quite cool. I really, really liked her in this episode. She never let me down. She was funny. She was assertive. You know, when she needed to be in charge, she was a really good captain. When she needed to go against the rules, when Saru was being, no, you can't do that. She'd go off and do it. She was sound. She did it well. Obviously, Buck and Burnham were, I thought, a fantastic partnership. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to Burnham. Burnham started off well, but she ended up being a warmongering, narcissistic, double standards member of the crew. And I wouldn't really want to trust her moving forward. What makes you say that? Well, because whenever it suited her agenda, she would make a decision to do something. And then when it suited the needs of being a Starfleet following their protocol, she would do that. She was happy to start a full-on battle with the Emerald Chain to achieve whatever her goal was. And it just seems very narcissistic in in her approach. For this season, I just felt she started off the first two episodes and absolutely correct with the relationship with Buck and Burnham. I thought that was an amazing dynamic. And I wish they hadn't have got rid of Buck's character in episode three. I wish they'd carried that on. And I wish that they had allowed Burnham to not reintegrate back into Starfleet. And I mentioned it, I think, in episode two. They should have allowed her to come into it naturally. You know the episode where they called on Buck when they were inside the social bubble? Yeah. Starfleet headquarters. And they were saying, we need to do something. And suddenly out of the blue, Buck's ship turns up, ends up just fitting into the shuttle bay. I think that would be the moment when Burnham and Buck both return back because it would have meant they were off doing their thing. Your plot B could have been flitting across. You could have had Saru licking arseholes. And then Burnham and Buck would... <laughs> would have been investigating another avenue, trying to find leads, trying to find people who witnessed stuff. Did you hear about the burn? Oh yeah, there's some dickhead kid couldn't get his um, bag of sweets out quick enough. Oh right, where's he gone? Well, he's fucked off to somewhere this planet full of radiation. I don't dislike Burnham, by the way. I just think ultimately this comes down to how their characters are written. The actors have to do the job they're being paid to do. I imagine they do their job very well. However their characters are written is what's caused this to be a complete shit show. What we have established is the security measure in this year are clearly not a priority. They've spent all their time creating, designing and installing floating nacelles that serve no purpose. Instead of putting up a key cupboard where all the keys to the ships and shuttles are and getting Dave to stand guard over said cupboard and then if anybody wants to take a shuttle out for a spin they have to speak to Dave in order to get access to the cupboard and if Dave can obviously then check with command so Saru for example to make sure that that is acceptable instead it would appear that they kind of just leave the keys to the shuttles just randomly lying around so if Burnham does decide just on the spur of the moment that she just wants to nick a shuttle and fuck off somewhere she just jumps in one and there's absolutely no way of stopping her because by the time they realise she's gone she's actually already at whatever planet it was it's like where's 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 Burnham Uh, I don't know have you seen her no I I don't see Should should we use the sensors on the ship to see yeah yeah all right yeah the sensors say she's not here okay did the did the sensors at any point pick up the fact that burnham had made her way to the shuttle bay and that a shuttle had just flown out of the arse of the ship did no one spot that oh i thought i saw something while i was eating my toast in the mess hall well did you not say something no you know it's it's commonplace for someone to nick a ship 
Also, a garage door wouldn't go amiss, would it? No, it, it wouldn't. Has, it has gone amiss. One of those one with a far-beaned electric ones that raises. <laughs> they obviously parked somewhere untoward, and uh, it got nicked. The amount of time they spent on the hologram episode, the amount of money they've invested in shit technology that doesn't really serve any purpose other than to try and wow us. Also, you've got to compare it to what Enterprise already established. And as I say, there was exciting technology established in Enterprise that they've completely overlooked. So this thing, this device that allows you to pass through solid matter, would have resolved so many plot points straight away. Oh, by the way, the Emerald Chains on our ship, just walk through that bulkhead, go behind them, Vulcan death grip them, done, end of story. (laughs) The other person, or I suppose I'm going to almost put this together as a team for MVP, would be the medical team. So I thought Dr. Pollard should get a shout out for the way in which she looked after that pussy. In fact, I think it was Buck who described Dr. Pollard as showing some love to the pussy. Well, (laughs) I've used that line many a time in my youth <laughs> to no success and Colbert who in more serious terms I thought Colbert came into his own a little bit he got a bit more time he became a bit like the ship's counsellor and as a result of which I think we got a bit of a better feel for him as a character I, I do like him he doesn't lose his head in a, a crisis he's been through the mill pretty bad and yet he doesn't go around with this massive weight in his shoulder you can still tell he's trying to compute it and deal with it but he doesn't let it get in the way of what he's trying to do and how he's trying to live his life and I thought Colbert quite consistently came across as a good solid character throughout. I would agree I think that is a prime example of someone who's carrying the weight of a really bad experience that he that most of us wouldn't go through I mean not many of us can say they died and came back to life again. Um, I don't know sometimes I feel like that when I've had to go to business meetings <laughs> Well I'm usually sliding the knife across my wrist under the table to be fair. He's not constantly reminding us of that trauma. Well that's it I think that's why I like him you can see he's carrying it but it's not yeah. it's not a verbal oh woe is me it's kind of a, a subliminal message that he presents and it's realistic we have the added value as the observers we're looking into this so we're seeing all of the components that in real life we wouldn't we in the real world are carrying whatever burdens we're carrying and we as individuals choose how we share that or display it and we can be whinging minis and go around telling people the weight of your world to the point where they just delete <laughs> and don't answer your calls anymore. That was my experience with the Samaritans anyway. (laughs) Or you can, that thing that says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. In Colbert's case, it quite literally did because he got rid of his scars, he got rid of his dodgy knee, he came back better. He was like Cyberman. He had a six pack, he had a (laughs) lovely skin. Maybe that's what, we're all scared of dying, maybe that's what it means is you die and you just basically come back looking amazingly fit. Which I could do with now, so bring it on. Let's have that death. Yeah. Um, I'm going to lick someone with COVID now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, So, who are we giving the MVP to? I'll let you choose this one. Who did you say? I said Burnham, but I've got Culber as sort of a a rough second. I'll go with you, Culber. I won't pick Burnham. I'll go with you, Culber. Okay, so Culber is the MVP. Yeah, he's a prime example of how you can write a character without my eyes rolling. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so that's the awards done. I suppose quickly, just to, to wrap this up, where do we think season four's going to go? And is there a danger that we will get halfway through season four and actually just jib off doing this show because we've lost the will to live? Or do we like moaning too much? Or if it's really good, will we just be utterly surprised? To answer that as best I can, we do moan. We're legitimately presenting something that other people, I assume, would have picked up on as well. And we're doing it in a gracious and humanist way. We're not just 
just being outwardly negative towards the show. If anything, we're highlighting what they need to fix. Moving forward, if season four actually gets out the gates and doesn't get cancelled, they've got to pull the socks up. Well, we've got no grounding, have we? There's no story arcs. I mean, I know there's a few character arcs which are historic, like Will Saru come back, how will he come back, you know, shit like that. But yeah. we've got no like major threats to the universe that we're aware of. I suppose a little bit of a political drama with whether the Emerald Chain has really been defeated. But by all accounts, they've kind of said that's done and dusted. So we don't have like the Borger on the way or there's a mass war broken out in the corner of the quadrant. Whether they use season four now, which they should have used season three to do, they have a blank canvas and then they use four as that. They've wrapped everything up in season three. I personally think they should have done that with season three, which probably would have retained a lot of the viewing figures. People would have come back for season four. I think after this complete nightmare, people will be less likely to get involved. I suspect you'll have a situation like you've got currently going on with Batwoman, where the viewing figures of Batwoman are about 600,000. Yeah. They've had a complete nightmare with change of cast, the way it was presented, people not being happy with all of the similar modifiers that we've experienced in this show and Supergirl and Black Lightning. People are getting onto it and going, I'm not interested in that. I want to watch a programme because I love the escapism and the fact it's in the future and I love Star Trek because I'm a fan. I think that's going to play a part in how they do season four. They have, as you rightly say, if you think about Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine was one of the most derided shows of its time, even by the producers, and it ended up being one of the most popular because over a course of the series, they introduced the Jem'Hadar. Well, I think the best periods of Deep Space Nine was the whole Dominion War, which sort of started with the Klingons and then it went with the Cardassians and the Dominion. All hell was breaking loose. But if you think about it in terms of what we've done in season three of Discovery, they didn't start the war at the beginning of season four of Deep Space Nine and finish it at the end of season four of Deep Space Nine and then start a new arc thread. That war actually continued for the whole of four, five, six and seven. And the only main things that changed throughout that were the Klingons were at war with the Federation for a season. The Cardassians were at the fore causing bloody murder. But, you know, there was periods within the seasons that were sort of stories for that particular season. But the main thread ran through. And I feel that's what Discovery is missing at the minute. It's missing that big, bad, that major threat, that major problem that runs constant throughout. You can't say season one and two because of the time change. But season three had the opportunity to create that. And rather than finish it by the end of season three, they could have actually done part one as season three and carried it on into season four and five and six and seven and so on until such times it started to run its course and then have other problems that became sort of the weekly challenges and I was hoping season three would do that it hasn't I would hope season four therefore tries to do that but I mean from what you're saying there is actually a real risk it might not even get a season four there's a few risks Netflix is the only UK carrier or at least how we watch it and the other one would be CBS and I'm not paying for CBS I mean at this Mm. juncture I am actually starting they're going to have to come up with a solution to this problem I'm starting to get a bit fed up with all these subscription services that we have to pay for so I have Now TV which costs whatever it costs a month 20 quid a month I've got Netflix which is the price is slowly creeping up at whatever it is like 8 quid a month I've got Amazon Prime which costs much the same a month I've got Disney Plus which pays for that you then got your likes of your Apple and if you're going then down the CBS all access route at some point I kind of get to the point where it's like Jesus Christ how many subscriptions do I have to keep paying for because when you add them all together once upon a time I used to have Sky and if you're an American listener I'm not sure you, you'll necessarily get that but in this country I, I was paying about 120 quid a month I had all the bells and whistles 120 quid a month to watch telly and eventually I was like this is just ridiculous jibbed it off and then started to get the 
subscriptions that I actually watch. Well, I'm not going to just sign up to CBS All Access to watch Star Trek. Well, much the same as you. I was one of the earliest purchasers of Sky and then cancelled Sky, then had Netflix. I've been Netflix for quite some time. And now I have Amazon, Disney Plus. Even within Amazon, don't forget, you've got the other channels that you can purchase extra. Yeah, no, my missus keeps on signing up to these to watch these, I don't know, these subtitled programs that I get sore eyes from rolling at when I watch them. And she keeps on watching them and not realising she's signing up to another subscription. Then she's looking at bank stem going, what's this five quid a month going out for? I don't know. The Zoom channels, I have, I have no idea. What is it you've been watching? The latest news is Paramount Online is going to do their own show. So all the shows to do with Paramount, which is CBS, will start grabbing back all their shows. Obviously, Disney's been doing it with their shows. Apple TV's crap because Apple TV is like the illegitimate son of the other TV subscription channels where they just harvest. Well, the, the problem they've got at the minute is much the same problem that they had with Netflix when I first signed up to Netflix when it first came into existence. I came onto it and I looked at it and, and I said at the time, you know, this is a brilliant concept, but it was just utter shit on there. I mean, there was not, they didn't have anything. It was films you'd never heard of that you wouldn't waste your time watching. And that's because they didn't have the content and they've had to build that content over time I guess that's the problem with the likes of Disney Plus and Apple because Disney Plus is great insofar as you've got the Mandalorian you've got all their back catalogue of films but once you've seen those films you're kind of running short on stuff to watch as an adult and I know we've got some of the Marvel TV series coming out but they haven't come out yet we've only got WandaVision which is now coming on a weekly basis but I'm waiting for that to finish and then I'm going to binge that but once I've binged that I've got to wait for another thing and there's not much else to go at it's the same with Apple TV there isn't an awful lot on there I'm not paying all this money to just watch Star Trek Discovery once every 18 months or Star Trek Picard once every 18 months so basically you pay for a TV series once every 12 months when it comes out that's exactly the problem I had with Netflix it had all of the old sci-fi channel B movies the only reason I subscribed to it is because I could justify the 4 99 as it was because House of Cards was on there Hemlock Grove was on there Tup and Stepney when I was a lad they paid for it because I binged all of them and I loved the way I could digest TV. They suddenly got into their stride where they were producing their own content. I don't mean the content they suddenly put a big massive N on to say it's theirs when in fact it's not theirs but the actual content they produce is a clever little thing. They're always almost broke because they invest billions into really good content which they then can sell on to syndicate it to other channels. Makes sense as a business model. The others are just following in the footsteps. Amazon in some respects has become the way Netflix was because some of their movies are absolute spanners they're like netflix they've been doing it a good few years yeah so they have the licensed movies and what they've done is a different approach where they've categorized and saying well if you want to watch a movie you can subscribe to our other channel which is the horror channel or whatever it is whereas netflix is one price the others that are following suit now unfortunately are going from the ground up again which is why apple is full of crap three main ones will be disney plus amazon and netflix they're the leaders i feel we've gone down a, a labyrinth here <laughs> where we're talking about subscriptions i think to bring it back to the topic at hand the question is will season four exist and if it does where will we be able to consume it and if it's anything like too much effort if i'm not feeling thoroughly enthralled after a couple of episodes i shan't be spending my hard-earned cash oh, i know agreed i mean i had a feeling like in this season if i'm honest there wasn't any joy amen and on that chipper note i think we should draw a line under well i, I suppose let's do a, a score out <laughs> Let's give a score out of 10. I see where this car crash is going. Let's do a score out of 10 on the season as a whole. What are you giving it out of 10? 
Oh, that's actually better than I thought you were going to give it. Yeah, I'm kind of I've committed to four over the course of this podcast. I teetered on a three. I've committed to four, and the reason is it's just a poor addition to the Star Trek family. When I can still watch Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and the original series and get the same level of glee that I got 20 years ago. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go for four. Three feels a bit too harsh, but five feels too generous. Five feels like there was lots of good in it and I don't know I just feel they need to be thoroughly punished for their general storytelling because whatever was good about the season was in such isolation from the general nonsense that they were producing that I don't think it warrants I'm going to give it a four as well we are in complete and utter agreement my friend well five's fifty percent so I'm saying this half the series was good yeah like, exactly no. <laughs> and on the I think I gave one of the episodes like a three didn't I so yeah and generally you're quite good with the with the score and you normally score it quite high yeah I'm, I'm usually a generous lover but on this occasion I just wasn't having any of it I was scorned so hopefully you agree with us hopefully you don't agree with us hopefully you'll get in touch to tell us one way or the other if you want to do that to remind you Facebook Instagram and Twitter it's at the two marks get on there give us a follow give us your thoughts we want to hear them if you want to drop us an email you can send one to the two marks at the podstation.co.uk if you want to send us a lengthy email we will read it out well if it's too lengthy we might edit it and if it's particularly amusing we may uh, edit it in such a way that you don't come across in a particularly good light but we insist that you do it anyway it's good we like it do that for us check out the channel so Picard Talk A Film Podacy and Disco Fever subscribe to all those channels and as I say the Two Marks channel will be up and running very shortly so you can catch all of those shows on that one location patreon.com forward slash the pod station if you want to become a patron of the show just for a small donation we will give you some benefits in return <laughs> that sounds very seedy <laughs> for money we'll give you you get some pollard loving dr pollard loving <laughs> That's a new podcast right there. Isn't it just? <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel like it's a Dr. Phil's format. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our season three of Disco Fever show, even if you didn't enjoy season three of the actual show. And we will catch you again when season four comes along. See you later. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Away team out. <laughs> <laughs>